Hello, I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, a podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which I grill top chefs about their love of their craft, where it started, why it continues and what it means to them now. As well as exploring our guests' passion for cooking, we'll also be looking at the practical side of things and giving you a few basic tips to improve your own culinary skills. We'll be talking outdoor cooking too, about getting the best out of your barbecue as the night draw in. And if you don't have one yet, don't worry, we'll be giving away a state-of-the-art Weber in every single episode. Now, we had a joyous time with, let's be honest, National Treasure Nadia Hussain last time round. And among those joining me in the coming weeks, we've got Rachel Koo, Paul Ainsworth, Tom Kerridge and the Hairy Bikers. But today we're grilling Gok Wan, who I think it's fair to say is pretty much multi-talented. Now, his dad may have owned a Chinese restaurant, but Gok earned his spurs in an altogether different field as a makeup artist and fashion stylist, whose popularity and success prompted Channel 4 to invite him to present How to Look Good Naked. Good decision that, as we know, the show was an enormous hit. Nonetheless, Gok has always had a serious passion for cooking, and that's what he's here to talk about today. Welcome, Mr. Gok Wan. Oh, what an incredible introduction. <laughs> now, before, before we get into this, let's be honest. You're actually having a bit of a nightmare of a day, aren't you? I am. I'm desperate to do this podcast with you, um, mainly because I need a barbecue, just saying. But the (laughs) other reason is my chimney exploded this morning. And the the room, there's only one room in my house that gets any level of internet connection. And it's the front reception room, which is where the exploding chimney is. So I'm literally sat here like Barney Rubble right now in amongst all of this rubbish and soot and smoke everywhere. So I'm like, you know what? This is either going to be the best podcast in the world or the worst. And at the moment, how would you describe your stress levels on a scale of one to 10? Uh, 57. Excellent. 57, but I'm all right. Also as well, as you know, Simon, you know me very well. I'm, I'm very particular about things. I'm very particular about neatness and tidiness and cleanliness. So you can just imagine what this is doing. And, and what are you wearing, Gok? I always like to know what outfit you're wearing. I'm assuming it's black. What am I wearing? I'm wearing a black hoodie and I'm wearing a pair of oversized jeans, stripy socks, a pair of Via trainers. And my hair is all slicked back with an Alice band in. Because also the other thing is, is that I didn't realise we were doing this right away. So I was, and this is the other thing, so I was on my way to do a food shop in the car and then I got a call saying, get back home, you're doing a podcast. And so I'm, I'm, I'm slightly unprepared. But I do think that these things probably happen for a reason, don't they? All right, listen, let, let's, let's start talking food. Now, now, of course, what a lot of people didn't know is that you you were brought up living in a restaurant. So, you know, Papa Wan was, was, a, was a restaurateur. So talk us through your, your childhood then. But there are three of us, siblings, uh, mum and dad, very, very tight unit. Mum's English, dad's Chinese. Dad moved over to the UK when he was 16 years old. His father came over first from Hong Kong and uh, scoured the entire country looking for a city in the UK that didn't have too many Chinese food options to open up a family business. Discovered Leicester right in the heart of the Midlands and opened up a business. And then my parents met, they fell in love, started working for my grandfather, then they had us. And so actually food has been probably my biggest love, my biggest passion, my biggest connection to my heritage, uh, the biggest way I communicate with the world, way more than fashion or hair and makeup or anything else that I've done because I've just known it. In fact, one of my earliest memories um, isn't actually a sight memory, it's a smell memory, and it's a smell of prawn crackers. 
And so I can still remember it. My parents used to put us as kids in the prawn cracker boxes like mangers. Which, you know, <laughs> if, you do that, if you do that now, I'm sure the social services might have something to say about it. Back in the 70s, it was kind of all right. We were a family-run business. So we were literally, from the moment we, we came out of hospital as babies, we were in the business. And so food for me is, has been such an enormous part of my life and continues to be so now, absolutely. It's funny because you said that thing about smell because one of my early memories is my grandmother's apple pie. My grandmother used to cook the most amazing apple pie. And I, to this day, I still don't know what she did, the way she sugared the puff pastry, the way she cooked the apples. There was something about it that, that is really very evocative of my childhood. And then equally, you and I share a background in the fact that I have a degree in fashion textile design from Leicester Poly. We're destined to do this. I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. I love that. So, so you've got a degree in fashion. I've got no degree in fashion. Yeah. We both ended up kind of working in the same industry, but like kind of talking and, and cooking food. And so, isn't that incredible yeah. how things go, go around and come around and, and everything else? We end up in the same space. I love that. It's why we get on so well. So what, what was the restaurant called? So the original restaurant was called The Hung Lao, uh, and it was on a tiny little street in Leicester city centre. And, uh, you know, all my, the most fondest memories that I've got are standing in my Jungle Book t-shirt with my dad's aviator glasses on outside the restaurant, being as proud as you could possibly be outside the family restaurant, standing next door to the luncheon vouchers sign, which is, remember, the old luncheon vouchers from the 70s. Yeah, 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 I do. And the restaurant was on one floor. It had uh, a kitchen out the back and a huge backyard. Huge, huge, huge. I remember the backyard and a, t- a tiny, really a tiny little kitchen in comparison to the size of the kitchens you get now in professional kitchens. And it was probably and probably 30, 35 covers with a, an old 70s style mahogany bar at the back, a front counter with one of those draw tills, you know, where you had to ring it down. Yeah. Uh, that mum would sit there and she would ring all the money in. And it was such a fabulous business. It was so successful. And, and the, the funny thing is about that business is that the, the food then, back then in the 70s, wasn't anything like the Asian or Chinese food that you would get now. And so it's very exotic now. You can kind of have a taste of all parts of Asia. Whereas back then, as long as it was Asian people serving you the food, it was Asian food. <laughs> the mushroom soup became Asian food. A bread roll was Asian food. Chips and steak was Asian food. And I kind of, I do remember that. And there was the odd little thing on the menu, like a chopped suey, for instance. And um, so that was kind of the original menu. And then my parents left there and my dad opened up his own business. And it was called The Bamboo House, which is, and I'm now probably around seven or eight years old. And is that still in Lestergock? No. So my parents have retired now. So all of my parents' businesses have closed down. Uh-huh. Um, and they had several. They went from restaurants to takeaways. They ended up in a fish and chip shop as their last business before they retired, but always worked in catering. So we've kind of seen it all, really. So food has been so vital to our family, not just a way of surviving and, and you know, eating to live, but also the, the money, the, the income to uh, provide us with a business and all of us working together and so food for us has it's been paramount in every single thing we do and i know i know i talk a lot simon I'm, i apologize no it's fine it's good it makes my life really really easy i've got like 27 questions i think if i get through four <laughs> then it's probably the most i've ever managed to ask you <laughs> whenever whenever journalists ask me you know what do you do for a living because I, I you know i do fashion and i write and I present, and I cook, and I DJ. And I always say, well, do you know what? It's really odd because I only ever imagine myself. I'm, I'm kind of like a waiter. And every single day I go to work, and <laughs> on my tray, it changes what's on there. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's fashion, 
sometimes it's music, sometimes it's just straight up presenting, but actually all the skills that I've got now, how I communicate, how I talk, how I care, um, how I run a business is all based on our family business. So food for me has been the biggest inspiration in my life and not just the food, but also the business side as well. Do you know what? I think that's really interesting because I, I've always been a big believer that the hospitality industry is one of the greatest industries in the entire world. Without question. Because I think that, you know, I, I started in the hospitality industry 32 years ago. And you sort of think now in the way that, that we look at the way in which the world is changing. And hospitality has always never given a damn where you're from, what you are, whether you're straight, whether you're gay. It doesn't matter. I think it's a beautifully all-encompassing industry that also is global. We don't care. We just want you to enjoy it, be fun and feel. Well, that word hospitality, it surrounds itself. And I think it's an amazing industry for human beings. I agree. I agree. You know, when I employ teams of people now to work on TV shows or fashion brands or, or events or whatever we're working on. And the minute that I see on somebody's CV that they've worked in hospitality, whether it's been for a summer season or whether it was, you know, whilst they were at university or whatever, it's the one thing that I'm always most impressed with because it's a hard industry. It's really, really tough. You've got front of house, which is basically your living room. You're inviting people into your home. You're asking them to spend their well-earned money. You're probably asking them to get a bit dressed up. You're asking them to share their taste and their decisions with you. And you as a restaurateur or as somebody that works in that restaurant, you are responsible then for a solid two, three, four, maybe five hours yeah. to entertain them and feed them and make them feel welcome and full and happy. And the moment they leave that restaurant, if they aren't entirely happy, you've not done your job properly. Now, all of the skills that go into just providing those few hours of service, I think uh, are the skills that you would have in banking the skills that you would have in any creative services, the skills that you would have even in running a country. Because hospitality for me brings out, as a worker, brings out just the best parts of your personality because essentially it falls down to caring. One of the, one of the nice things that ever happened to me, we, we had a young kid who worked for us and he was quite a shy 16-year-old and he started off working washing pots for us on a Friday and Saturday night when he was at school. And then he didn't do particularly well in his exams. And then he said, you know what, what would it take me to, to train to be a chef? And so Chris then sort of started working with us, you know, peeling onions, doing little bits of prep. He now, this is one of my proudest achievements, this is going, he now lives in Canada and he's exec chef at a massive hotel group. And he was the shyest, most introverted kid. And hospitality did that for him. And, I, you know, that is probably my proudest achievement as, as, a, as a restaurant owner over the years, I think. The other thing as well, you said like, you know, that, that sort of four to five hours you look after people. I heard this great expression once that if you go to a restaurant and when you leave, it doesn't make you want to have sex, then it's you've been to a bad restaurant. And I love that as an analogy because I think, you know what, that is absolutely true. Well, I'm going to kind of disagree slightly because I tend to overeat. And the last thing that I want to do after I've been out for dinner is take my kids off and romp around. I normally just want to fall asleep on the sofa with the, with the, the final glass of wine of the evening. So I, kind of, I do kind of get that. But isn't that just about euphoria yeah. and excitement yeah. and pleasure? And there is something about dining out that I still... I mean, I get together with my family now as much as they possibly can. All of us, I and mean, all of us are very different. My sister's a lawyer. My brother's a cook and a chef and a writer. My parents have retired. We will sit and we will, we will, we will cover all the pleasantries for about three and a half minutes. How are you? How's work? How's your health? Brilliant. And then the rest of our meeting, the rest of our gathering 
is based around the food that we've eaten, what, we, what are we going to eat? But then we start creating our dream restaurant again. And we've done this for years and years. Even when we've owned businesses, we've got together and we've dreamed about having again that family business and the catering and the hospitality and the customers and the food. And we're all so passionate about it still. Um, and, and, I, and I love that. I love coming from food. I love that food is so important to me. And I would say it's probably 97% of me. Wow. You know, and that fits around fashion and it fits around music. And I love being a fashion stylist and a designer. Don't get me wrong. That is by all means my first job. But actually when it comes down to it, when I kick off my fashion jacket and my fashion shoes, there is food at the end of that. And I, and I love that. And, I, and, you know, and every single day I'm thinking about food or what I'm cooking or who I'm cooking for or playing around with ingredients. And I'm so lucky for that. We're so lucky, Simon. Oh, yeah. But not only that, I mean, you know, and I'm delighted to be part of it. You launched the Golden Chopsticks Awards a few years ago, which, which is the first national competition or national awards for, uh, for Asian food. And you invited me to be one of the judges on it, which I'm incredibly honoured to kind of be on. And what a success that has been. I mean, how, how did that come about? So a really good friend of mine, Lucy Mitchell, whose father started Siwoo Foods in, in London, massive distributor of Asian uh, food to all the restaurants and the shops and everything else, and also homes as well. And so she was a good, a good friend of mine. And I met her and Stanley many years ago when I was making my first ever cooking show for Channel 4. And we filmed at the supermarket and met them. Just fell in love with Lucy um, uh, for all the right reasons. And then we, uh, a good friend of hers, Sarah, who's a food PR in London, so she looks after a lot of the really gorgeous restaurants. We all got together to have dinner and they said to me, look, we're thinking about doing this idea. We want to do a little award ceremony, Southeast Asian food. We're thinking, you know, maybe 50 people, a couple of awards. And by the end of the night, I drank, I drank about 77 cocktails. And I was like kind of clawing my way around this, this kind of conversation. And actually not dissimilar to the conversations I have with my parents where we dream of our dream restaurant. We kind of dreamed of our dream award ceremony. And I said, look, if we're going to do this, let's supersize it. Let's get the, you know, the biggest names in Asian food, the biggest judging panel we possibly can, you know, yourself included. Let's put it into a huge, com- uh, a, a huge dining space with the 500, 600 guests. And let's make this as big as we possibly can. And so we did it in the first year. And it was quite a phenomenal um, experience because we suddenly realized, why hasn't this been done before? Why haven't we celebrated Southeast Asian food? It's one of the most popular cuisines in this country, but it's the least cooked at home. So that tells you one thing is that we're all eating it, but we're just terrified of cooking it. And so why don't we celebrate those people that are, you know, brilliant in their jobs? And we're not talking about the, you know, the Andrew Wongs, who is brilliant you know, and the Hakkasans and the Nobus and all those incredible five-star dining restaurants. We're talking about the takeaways in Sheffield and the restaurants in Glasgow. And we wanted to celebrate all of those and we came up with it. And, and now we're in, I mean, we can't do it this year because of COVID, but we are about to go into our fourth one. And it's, it's so special and it's so, it's so important to us. I tell you what, the, the other thing as well, you know, you and I and lots of people, we go to so many award ceremonies. The th- yeah. biggest thing for me, is the food at this award is incredible. It's incredible. Because the thing that I'm most nervous about, so I write the script, I design the room, so I do all the art on it. Um, Lucy and Sarah look after kind of the guest listing and the sponsors and everything else. I do the creative side. And so when it comes down to the food as well, it's the bit that I'm most nervous about. Because can you imagine you've got Ken Hom, 
who is basically my god and I love him <laughs> you've got you know the likes of you you know and, and all of our judges are incredible chefs and, and kind of eaters I and mean, they are proper eaters because you can get a chef who's not an eater have you ever met a chef who's not an eater I've met several of them and they, they unnerve me and you get chefs that are eaters, that people just love eating food. And then you've got all of these restaurateurs and takeaway owners and brand owners, and they're all there because they love their food and they love their job. And we've got to serve them a six-course meal. <laughs> I mean, you absolutely brick it. It's so terrifying, but hugely rewarding at the end of it when everyone leaves and says, do you know what, that was great. I didn't really notice the awards, but the food was amazing. And so that's enough for me, that's enough. Right, now, it's that part of the show when we invite our chefs to take up a little bit of a challenge. Now, what we're doing is we're asking God what he would prepare for his pals this autumn. With He can have any cut of meat, fish or veg. Also, we've asked him to come up with a marinade or a rub, a sauce and a cold side dish to accompany it. Now, this is going to be tricky for Gok. There's a twist. One is, which won't be difficult, he's cooking outdoors on his barbecue. But the tricky bit for you, Gok, is you have to describe it to me in 45 seconds. Oh my God, no, I'm not doing that, I'm leaving. I can't do it. 45 seconds, right. So when I say go, you have 45 seconds to sell it to me and I've got a stopwatch. Are you ready? Are you, are you clear in your head? Is that including the, the cold side as well? Everything, it's the full, the full hit. You're selling it to me, Gog. This is your pitch. I've got to say, you can't come out too early. <laughs> no danger with that with you. Um, Nardi did it in, in 42.38 seconds and it was beautifully succinct and it was very, Delicious, great descriptive words. So um, this is your chance. Are you ready? I, I'm literally, I've genuinely got the sweats. Okay, right. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go. It's autumn. The weather is changing. I'm going to feed you something which is warm and barbecued and flavoursome and really aromatic. You are going to have a tenderloin of char siu pork that has been slightly burnt but cooked beautifully on the barbecue. And I'm serving it with a wasabi coleslaw. And with the, with the tenderloin, all you need to do is marinate it for two hours or overnight if you can. Hoisin sauce, a bit of tomato set of ketchup for that acid. You're going to put some oyster sauce in, some rice wine vinegar. You're going to add some sugar and you're going to add some honey and you're going to mix it all together. Rub it through with some fresh garlic, some fresh ginger and spring onion. Get all of those really bright Ten seconds. flavours in. Rub it through. You're going to barbecue it over 20 minutes. Then you're going to chop up your salad, whack in some mayonnaise and some wasabi and serve it beautifully just to the people you love. Oh, that was exactly 45 seconds. No, it was rubbish. I want to do it again. I can't bear it. I failed. 45 seconds. That was brilliant. That was good. That was that was very, very good. It's a challenge out there, isn't it? I mean, especially for someone like you. You, you know, why use why use 10 words when 742 will do is your is your mantra for life. Simon, it's called passion, let me tell you right now. <laughs> it, it's you know, it's really difficult. I'll tell you why that's so difficult, is because you you I desperately then wanted you to enjoy that meal. And I, I'm not with you. I'm not serving it to you. You can't smell it, which tells me a million things about our relationship, which it goes back to that serve our relationship. Yeah. I wanted you to be happy with what I was feeding you. And I hope you try that recipe, actually. It's my dad's old recipe for Chelsea Ball, which is incredible. Lovely. Do you barbecue much, Gok? I know, I mean, you said you haven't got one, but do you like barbecues? Yes, I did have one. And I used to barbecue a hell of a lot. I used to live up in Hampstead Heath and I had a built-in barbecue in the back of the garden. And I loved it. And then I moved into central London three years ago, four years ago. And I, I don't have that much great outside space here. Yeah. So that's my only thing. But I do have 
in my kitchen is I've got a massive griddle pan that I put on top of my six burners. So you kind of almost get that barbecue feel about it. But there is something about eating at El Fresco. And I've got one great memory of this, which is because my parents own the restaurants. And as you know, when you work in catering and you've got children and stuff, having a parent-child relationship is quite tricky because you're always working. And I get that. But uh, So my dad's one day off, which was a Sunday, was so precious to us. Um, and my dad would do a barbecue for us. And he's got the most incredible marinade of a very, very simple ginger, spring onion, soy sauce, uh, dark soy, a little bit of sugar, and with any meat, and it's just incredible. But one particular barbecue we had was for my brother's birthday, and he must have been about, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years old. My dad did literally half a lamb on this massive barbecue with the rub, and he cooked it for hours and hours and hours. And it was one of the greatest memory, food memories of my life, because my, my, this, my dad's quite small, and this half a lamb was bigger than him. <laughs> he was cooking himself on this barbecue. And it was just so grand and just so honest. It was an honest cook. And I think that's what barbecuing is. It's an honest, honest cook. I, lo- I love that word. I think that word honest. There are certain words that always kind of excite me when people talk about kind of food. And I think honest is one of them, you know, where it's kind of, it's not about anything other than just that smell and the texture of kind of barbecue cooking on flames. Just beautiful, like you say, honest. Yeah, honest food. And I, and I think that's actually what food should be. When I was younger, I got very caught up with the idea that I needed to go to fancy restaurants and I needed to go all dressed up. And it was, a, you know, and I love that environment. Don't get me wrong. I love going to a posh restaurant and feeling the environment, the theatre of that space. But actually, when it comes down to it, where I'm at my happiest is when I'm in a, a, a little diner in the middle of Chinatown somewhere, or I'm at home doing a huge bowl of tofu and ramen with a miso soup. And it's just basically really very honest, very easy food. Very easy food. And I would say that's probably where my heartland is, um, because I just want to consume it and make up my own mind about it without being fed too much of the script. Nice. Now, before we go on, we're giving away a Genesis 2 gas barbecue and Weber Connect smart grilling hub in every single episode of Grilling. Genesis 2 is a premium gas barbecue that makes it easy to get great tasting food. The Smart Grilling Hub is an accessory which connects to your phone via an app. It guides you step by step through preparing and cooking, even telling you when you need to flip your food and when it's ready to eat. For your chance to win this fantastic prize, head to weber.com forward slash grilling. That's weber.com forward slash grilling, where you'll be able to find the terms and conditions and the closing date for entries. The competition is open to UK residents only. The Weber website is also the place to find a host of tips for barbecuing in all weathers and seasons, as well as a fantastic range of recipes. Now, I want to touch about when you cook, how much do you think that the, the visuals affect the way in which you kind of create food? Okay, so recently I've, I've just finished a cooking show. It's just finished on air at the moment. Um, and I loved making it. It was in my kitchen. It was the first time that I'd opened up my, kit- my, my, own, my own personal kitchen to a TV show. And I realised then when I was making that show that for me, I love... The, I love the crockery. I love the plates. I'm a big plate collector. I like it to be quite rustic and beautiful. So that's a fashion moment. But I think for me, because I mainly cook Southeast Asian food, the, the performance and the outfits, if you imagine a dish that I'm creating, <laughs> you've got your, you know, your, your, your base, whether that's your noodles or your rice, 
or whatever you're cooking, you know, becomes the main outfit. And then you have got the flavors and the aromatics, which become then the hat or the shoes. And then on top of that, you've got all of the garnish and the gorgeous colors that come through the vegetables and then the sauce and all that becomes all the rest of the accessories. So for me, the food dresses itself. And I've never been one for creating, you know, kind of, you know, tiny bit of food on a massive white plate with, you know, a smear of something. That's never been my style because I'm too hungry. I want a big <laughs> meal and I want enough food in front of me. But I do think that if you look at your ingredients and you're choosing the right ingredients and they're all beautifully fresh if you can get them. And I think then that's enough because those colours, those natural colours and the grain that you get through vegetables, you ever notice the grain is beautiful. Um, you know, you, you've got all of those. And as long as you work with those, you can create the most elaborate fashion collection with one meal just by using great ingredients. What a lovely description. It's funny because I, I sort of think that when I create dishes, I, I, like anybody who kind of creates recipes, you end up with almost... Uh, a palate that you don't need to taste anything, you know, so you can say, right, okay, if I have tarragon, I know it's going to go with chicken, I know it's going to go with cream and white wine. And it seems that the way you go about it is saying, okay, I'm visualising how this is going to look at the same time as kind of how it is. Whereas I'll almost end up, whilst I'm a very visual person, that for me, the taste is, or if you like, the starting point of, of my collection and then I end up saying, okay, how is it going to look? But it seems that you're working those two things at exactly the same time. I think so. I, it's very odd. I mean, like, okay, I suppose it's quite different with Southeast Asian food. So, for instance, I've got six friends, five friends, including me, six, tomorrow, coming over for dinner. And, and I'm, the reason I'm telling you that number is because, obviously, because of there the guidelines we're in at the moment. Mm -hmm. but, but that's also because, for me, cooking for six people is virtually impossible. I find it really tricky. I want a minimum of eight to ten. Why? Because I like to spend the entire day on it. I like to do as many dishes as I possibly can so I can take them on a bit of a food journey. I like the different conversations. So I kind of organise the conversations around the food. And so, for instance, the first thing I'll do is a dumpling station tomorrow where people will have to make their own dumplings before they're cooked. And that starts off part of the conversation. That's the catch up. How are you? How's work? How are you coping? All that kind of thing. So it's very casual. That's before we've even got to the table. So I kind of organise the conversation and how the evening's going to flow around the food. And so, and so for me, cooking for six people, it's going to be just a sit down. There's, there's, there's too few people to do all that elaborate stuff. And so for me, in my mind, I am wanting to do a minimum of six to eight different dishes then plus the carbohydrates so the sides and that kind of thing then we'll go on to a dessert and then we've got the cocktails on top of it and so for me it's about taking people on a, a, a culinary journey i know that if i'm creating something like a canton beef which is quite um sweet and acidic because of the tomatoes what i'm going to do is i'm going to cut through to a very simple sea bass with ginger and spring onion because i want it to be clean after that i don't want them to remember the beef canton and then we're going to go over to the tofu and i'm going to do it with mung beans and some i'm going to do fried tofu with malpal tofu on top of it so it's really spicy see then you're getting a hit and you kind of want to build up their journey all the way through and it's a little bit like going on a hike and so you walk a little bit then you run then you fall down a mountain then you then you're exhausted going at the top of the mountain then you get to the top and you've got the euphoria of the spice and so for me that's really important on designing that menu you know what that is fantastic i i really really love that but the thing the thing is as well you always say you never want anybody to describe you as a chef and i kind of get that but the way in which you, your, your love and your passion of food, you work like a chef, Gok. You know, you, you, that whole thing about a journey, that whole thing about a, a planned meal. I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you've been to many restaurants. I really hate tasting menus. I hate the fact when you, when you have a tasting menu, because if, if I'm out and say you and I go out and, you know, we will never stop talking. 
And what I don't want, I don't want to be interrupted every two minutes. I want, I want lots of dishes, but I don't want one little dish. Then they do, and they stand, then they go, this dish is an emulsion of, oh, shut up. Listen, we're trying to talk, bring me more wine and put all the food on the table and we'll just eat it. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you what, I'm going to give you the, the best bit of advice my father's ever given me. But thank you very much for your compliment, by the way. And there's a reason why I don't ever want to be described as a chef. And that is because I've got so much respect for chefs that have trained and given up their social lives and, you know, they're working a minimum of 70, 70, 80 hours a week in the kitchen and they start off peeling veg and pot washing and they build up and then they get their first service. I've got so much um, respect for that. I've never done that. I'm not a chef because I haven't put that in. And so I always describe myself as a really good home cook. I can cook the pants off a lot of people, but I'm definitely not a chef because I haven't put that groundwork in and I would be so disrespectful if if I even thought that I was. So that's that. I, I will applaud you for that as somebody who has done the 70, 80 hours a week. <laughs> it's hard, it's tough. I'm actually back on the tools at the moment because, like, you know, normally my role across our businesses is kind of development. Well, we're developing nothing at the moment. We're just trying to keep our heads above water. So I'm back on the tools. And do you know what, God? I'm loving it. It made me fall in love with being a chef again. You know, rather than kind of running the businesses, which I'm still having to do, but just being in there. And just getting my hands dirty. I love it. I'm really, really enjoying it. Cleaning down at the end of the night, the whole thing, I'm loving it. It's really important. Do you know, you know, there's, there's two things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to start writing a list in a minute so I don't forget to say it. But there's two things. So I do, I'm doing the same thing with fashion at the moment. So I'm normally designing and kind of, uh, I suppose, art directing from a distance. And then people are going out there and getting the stuff and doing the stuff. I find myself now prepping. And so I'm starting to prep the stuff because, again, you've got to roll up your sleeves. You've got to get back in. You've got to remember what it feels like. You've got to remember the exhaustion. You've got to remember the exhilaration and remember why you love it and you do the job. Um, But this this tip, Simon, because you'll love this. So my dad, who is probably my biggest idol in my entire life, I would never tell him that because he does my edit. But (laughs) I love my dad. I I just adore, adore him. But he gave me the best piece of advice without saying a single word, which was, when we were younger and we would go out to eat, so whether that was for a Greek meal or whether it was for an Indian meal or whatever, my dad would walk into the restaurant. And even if he didn't know the owners, which he knew most of the owners of the restaurants in Leicester because he was quite formidable back in those days, uh-huh. but he would walk in and he would um, then go and talk to the restaurant owner and there would be that beautiful moment of respect, um, respect giving between two restaurateurs that you don't get in hardly any other business where they stand there and they puff their chests out and they talk about business and how difficult it is. But then, you know, then, then the service comes. And it's a wonderful, it's like a ballet, it's a performance. And I loved watching it, my dad talking to this person. And then my dad would say to the person, just feed us. It, it, it's lovely, you know, I, I really, really love it. I, and like I say, you know, the, the, the passion for food, I adore it so much, you know, and since I've got involved with you, with, with, the, with the awards, I've seen another side, even though, even though I knew it existed, and it's been a really joyous thing to do. Now, we, we've talked a lot about kind of restaurants, so I love people's little secret places. Now, you've sort of hinted that you always sort of say, you know, you feel most at home when you're in a little diner in, in Chinatown. So every week, um, what I'm getting my guests to do is, is to recommend somewhere, and I don't really want it to be a posh restaurant. You know, we can all do that. I want it to be somewhere that you adore. It could be a coffee shop, a cake shop. It could be a tiny little family-owned restaurant, but nothing big. And we'll have a whole compendium so people who listen can then go and explore Gok's little secret place. Where, where are you going to take us, Gok? I'm, I'm basically, I'm going to take you to Hong Kong, listeners. 
And if you trust your auntie Gok, then just stay Hold with on, I'm you. just checking prices on flights. <laughs> uh, 489 return you can do at the moment. It's quite, it's quite reasonable at the moment. Yes, okay. Right, we've booked our flights. You are going to go to Hong Kong, but you're not going to get on a flight, which <laughs> yeah. is the most incredible thing. <laughs> yeah. And so what you'll do, you're going to find yourself in the middle of Chinatown, and you're going to be, your, every single one of your senses is going to be attacked by the lights and the sound and the different restaurant fronts and, and it's just chaos going down there, exactly what Chinatown should be. But then as you walk down Gerard Street and you have your lungs are now full of the aromats from, from Chinatown, you're going to get to the end onto Wardour Street and you would ne- instinctively turn right because that's where you think there's more Chinese restaurant, but you're not. You're going to turn left and then you're going to notice to your right there's going to be an, a, a tiny shop front, tiny shop front with a big orange sign and Cafe TPT is written. And now none of us know what Cafe TPT means, but it just works because as you walk in, you smell the roast duck and the roast belly pork. And then you've got the, 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 the beautiful smell of the soup base that, that sits in every single one of their dishes. And this is a little Hong Kong diner um, that you, is full of Hong Kong students that are all here um, at the training and studying and they're missing home and they want the flavours from home. And you have got one of the biggest, largest menus in Chinatown, uh, which is slightly overwhelming when you first look at it. But it just means that you need to constantly go back to this place and try every single thing on the menu. And you are going to have very, very simple prawn wonton dumplings in a soup noodle just with some pak choy and some, and some spring onions on top. And the soup is hardly even seasoned. You taste every single flavour in that stock. And then you're going to have morning glory with preserved bean curd and chilli. And then you're going to have some chilli crab. And then you're going to order one of the roasts, whether it's duck or chicken or pork. And you're going to have it on a, on a, on a plate of white fluffy rice with sweet soy, kikatmanay soy, all over the top of it, just with some light vegetables. And you're going to eat the whole thing with a coconut bubble tea. And it's just like being in Hong Kong. The food is so beautifully rustic and no frills whatsoever. But every single one of your taste buds will feel like it's at the circus when you're eating this food. It's delicious. Wow. What a fantastic description. Can we go together? <laughs> I'll take you there. Do you know what? It's genuinely my favourite place to eat in Chinatown. I love it there. Because I, I got invited around to your house. All of us judges got invited around and Gok said he was going to kind of cook for us all. And then Gok being Gok, then obviously things are more important in his life than kind of entertaining his friends. So clearly there was something more and more interesting. So it got cancelled. So we all just kind of like, you know, just said, oh. But do you know the thing is, Simon, I didn't cancel. All the other judges came. Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Love it. I'm joking. I did have to cancel. I'm, I'm known for cancelling my meetings because I'm always so bloody busy. But no, do you know what? I would love you to come over. I'd love to cook for you anytime, anytime you like. Right, fine. I, I am, I am going to hold you to that. We, we talked about this for ages, and then we also, you know, you mentioned M. Ken Hong before, who is one of the most amazing human beings on the planet. He is just incredible, and I think that. Whenever I'm in a room with Ken Holm, and I know you feel the same, I feel like I'm in the presence of kind of deity. There's an aura about that man that I've never seen from anybody else. His calm serenity is just brilliant. But he has a wicked sense of humour and also likes a cheeky drink, which nobody ever imagines him to do. Not at all. He he is, he's so genuine. And that's the only word that I can think of for Ken. Not only, you know, we know that he is an incredible writer. If you actually read his cookbooks, they're so beautifully written. And he's obviously an incredible cook and a chef and everything else. Uh, and an incredible host, which always baffles me about Ken, 
is because he doesn't need to be the host because he's Ken Hong. He doesn't need to host the space that he's in, but his aura extends to the entire room. And we, you know, when we do the Golden Chopsticks Awards, and we've got 600, 700 people in a massive dining room in a hotel in central London. Not until Ken walks in the room does that room, does the, does the candle get lit. Oh, All of a yeah. sudden, light comes on and Ken's in the room. And, but he is so humble. And so, I mean, I call him my, I call him my TV dad. And I literally, uh, I'm so in love with that man because he's so generous and brilliant and amazing and loves loves food, all types of food. And one of his favourite dishes is fish and chips. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> he told me once that when he gets buried, there's going to be like a mound rather than a flat surface because he wants an upturned wok to be, to be on top of him. <laughs> he's, he's so good. And do you know what? Next year at the Golden Chopsticks Awards, I'm, am I giving you a bit of a scoop here? I'll probably get into trouble. But Ken's designing the menu for us. How incredible is that? I'm incredible that Ken's going to design our, our dining menu on our awards night. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to see. And I'd love to, I'd love to actually to get in the kitchen with him. And, you know, he doesn't scare me because he's such a gorgeous person. I would love just to take as much knowledge from him as possible because he's just so brilliant. And I know you've cooked with him lots on the shows, haven't you? Oh, he's great. He's a great guy. Listen, we have run out of time. No! Which is a massive surprise with you being on Grilling. Got thank you so much for joining me. We've learnt so much today. We we learnt about the fantastic history of your family, about how fashion influences the way that you cook, the amazing barbecue recipe, just fantastic as ever. It's a joy to see you, and I I still can't get around my head. I know that you're sitting in a room full of chaos with your chimney exploding. Thank you so much for doing it today. And once it's all cleaned up. Please, 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 let, let's go out for dinner and I'll come round to yours and you can cook for me and I'll cook for you. And, you know, it's always lovely to hear you. I'd love that. Let's just get married, Simon. Let's just get married. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much. And listen, congratulations with the podcast. What a brilliant podcast. Bless you. And what an amazing lineup. They love you. I love you too. Gok, so good to hear your voice. Take care of yourself and good luck with the chimney. Take care. Bye now. Oh, thanks so much to Gok. He really does adore food. And I love the sound of that pork tenderloin he came up with for our recipe challenge. Hopefully that's given you an idea of what you can achieve on a Weber grill. Though there are loads more recipes on their website, including my very own chili rubbed steak. And if you go to weber.com forward slash grilling, not only will you find details of the competition, you'll also be able to get a free barbecue Bible cookbook with the purchase of selected accessories. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And don't forget to have a listen to our first episode with Nadia. We'll be back next week with Rachel Koo. He'll be talking about that famous little Parisian kitchen of hers, among many other things. Now, Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. I'm Simon Rimmer. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>